Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on the line with me today, Taylor. My pleasure. Cool. So first off, I want to hear a bit about you and what what you do right now in addition to designing clothing. Yeah, well, I'm a pretty nonlinear person, I guess. So um, I always like to have different things going on at the same time. Uh, I kind of feel like one thing informs another and no different with my work as a horticulturist at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston and designing uh, for my label. It's sort of like, I can't imagine actually coming up with ideas for workwear if I'm not actually working. It just seems like a silly, weird, abstract way of thinking. Um, so my day-to-day is pretty crazy. Um, I have a small, super small team of people who help me behind the scenes, but um, I actually work almost every week, seven days a week at the museum. Yeah. And if you've never been to the museum, it's an incredible place. It's hardly um, possible to sort of describe it really quickly, but it's an art museum with a beautiful garden in the middle, and then it's surrounded by an absolutely beautiful perennial garden. Um, So it's sort of all about the idea of having this sort of transcendental, beautiful experience rather than white walls with labels. Yeah. And... I have to say, every day I get up, I'm super excited to go work with my hands and be around plants, and then this whole other side to my day where I get to work with people and work through challenges and try and understand kind of how I can produce clothing that might have a lower footprint on the world um, from a social level and environmental level. I love it. And just briefly, could you tell our audience a little bit about your clothing company, Gamine? Yeah, so Gamine is about a year old, and it's a company dedicated to women and the idea that we should have beautiful options for clothing uh, when we go to work. And I got really frustrated being a horticulturist for my 13th year, um, never being able to find clothes that I felt represented who I am, like showed how serious and proud I was to be a horticulturist. And I also really wanted to find a way to bring to the market clothing that you could wear to work that was kind of made with non-traditional materials. Mm-hmm. I say non-traditional, but actually from a historic perspective, yeah. um, the textiles that we use are kind of like the foundation of workwear. And so, yeah, the label is all about really simple, beautiful silhouettes um, and on natural textiles, and we focus on process. And we really like to tell the story of how our clothes are made so people kind of understand the work that goes into it and better understand the um, kind of care instructions so the garments last as long as they can. And we try to encourage community as well um, because we sort of feel like there isn't much out in the world that describes women who work in the trades or manual labor or who sort of find themselves in positions where they're working. Yeah, um, you're right. And need hardworking clothing. So it's kind of this, like, interesting grassroots kind of approach to design, I guess. No, I love it. And and I I was on your website, and I guess some of your customers, I mean, they really span the gamut. Um, could you talk about some of the customers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that are purchasing these, yeah. clothes, you know, the you know your dungarees and the awesome shirts that you have, um, your um, the overalls now, which are adorable. Um, so yeah, tell us about some of your Thanks. customers. Um, it's funny. In the last year, I haven't had as much time to dig into exactly who buying our clothing. I know that sounds kind of crazy. I'm totally not a business person when it comes to certain things, but 
the interactions I've had with gals who I, you know, even just a bandana or um, a pair of dunkarees really do span this wide range. So um, there are girls who are super hardcore. Like one girl rides her motorcycle to this like incredibly remote post office to pick up her mail. She's like up in Alaska, like super hardcore, like outdoorsman, like crazy. Uh, Another girl is a geologist. Um, she primarily works in the outback in Australia. Um, gosh, I'm like blanking on all wow. the people I've been talking with the last week. Uh, nuclear physicist who's like kind of an experimental particle physicist. She's on the ground a lot working with like heavy equipment and oils and I mean like really intense scientists. Hmm. Um, potters, weavers, gardeners. And then there are girls who really love the label for sort of how pure it is from mm-hmm. um, the perspective of it being real workwear. Like, it's not the, the stuff that you sometimes see on the rack that's made to look like workwear, but then, like, falls apart. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's an interesting group of people. Um, I don't know much sort of about those girls other than they just sort of love the authenticity, to use the buzzword, that's kind of empty. And then there are also girls who approach the line from a sustainable fashion perspective. Like, they really love knowing where their clothes are made, who mm-hmm. makes them. Um, they love knowing that the textiles are all natural or uh, um, somehow can be labeled as sustainable, like hemp, for instance. Sure. And, um, yeah, it's kind of a really diverse group of people. That um, is so funny neat. enough, we hear from a lot of guys, too. It's really <laughs> funny. Do you think you might start a guy's clothing line in the future? Um, we sort of are taking bets on that. Okay. I definitely can see myself doing, like, a small little thing. But okay. I right. really feel like i got to help out my hardworking sisters first. <laughs> like, there's way too many options for the guys for me to care about that right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear Yeah. So I want to definitely dive into the craftsmanship of, of Gamine. But first, I yeah. I kind of want to start at the beginning a little bit, um, and I know you've told this story numerous times. So apparently, <laughs> Bill Cunningham, the photographer, uh, the delightful photographer over there yeah. in New York, uh, encouraged you to start your own clothing line, and he came out to take pictures of, of you in the garden one day. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely love to say that he like personally recommended that I start a clothing line for women, but that definitely never happened. Um, Little Bill is a friend of the museum. It's actually his first aesthetic experience as a young boy living in Boston. Mm. And it's a place that he feels this intense personal connection to. And he just really has this like incredible sense of integrity as a journalist. So when he's photographing um, different displays that we do in the museum, He'll come up from New York, like he'll get up at four in the morning, ride his bicycle to Penn Station, get on the train. Sometimes he's only around for like half an hour to shoot and then gets back on the train, goes back to New York, and then he'll often shoot like one or two parties that night. Like Mm. it's incredible. And he's in his 80s. Um, And the first time I met him, I, it was sort of like within the first few months of starting at the museum, I didn't really um, have an understanding of how the process of moving plants around the museum worked. So it was like super focused on what I was doing, kind of not really paying attention to what was going on around me. And my mentor said, okay, just to like fair warning, there's going to be kind of an older guy around who's a little quirky. Like, don't worry if he asks to take your photo, just do whatever he asks. Um, comes every year. Just, yeah. He's in the background. <laughs> um, 
And I just remember walking in with this super fragile 30 foot long nasturtium plant and a really like kind of crazy cold day in New England, which is like a recipe for disaster. And I just hear this voice and it's like, child, move the vine so I can see your face. Oh. I was like, what the hell is this county <laughs> doing here? And like, shit, why am I dressed like this? This sucks. Like yeah. really bad. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was sort of like one of those experiences where you're hyper aware of what you actually look like. Um, and then you actually see yourself in this weird third person way looking at yourself in print and, you know, unfortunately for me, the, the print was in the New York Times and, and on the street. And, um, yeah, it was just sort of like this weird kick in the butt. Like, okay, enough is enough. You look like Little Orphan Annie. You look like you don't take yourself seriously. Um, you know, like you couldn't get a better job in the world. You, like, lack some sort of education. Like, what, what about trying to find something that makes you look a little more polished or you know, gives the impression that you care deeply about what you do. And I went looking and, I mean, I've been looking for over a decade for really great workwear and mm-hmm. really tried everything. Um, and I kind of, I had a checklist, you know, I wanted something made with integrity that would last. I wanted to know the people making my clothing were treated right. I ideally wanted to wear something all natural. So just really feel like garments wear better and they just feel better on your body when they're, not made with synthetics, mm-hmm. and I wanted, to, yeah, I just wanted to look a certain way, you know. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find it, so yeah. that was that was sort of the start of the process, and wow. it never involved Bill tapping him on the shoulder and being like, "Well, you know, <laughs> I have this idea." Has, has he come back since <laughs> uh, to take? Yeah. Has he come back since to take pictures? Yeah, yeah, he comes up a lot. Um, yeah, he's a fantastic person. That's great. And I love, yeah. can't say enough good things about him. Yeah. yeah. So, so after that experience and you started researching the company, what what went into that? And about how soon after did you launch your first collection? So I kind of took this weird, non-traditional path. Um, I'm kind of somebody who likes to do things the hard way. Um, so I actually ended up chatting with a good friend of mine who basically knew me since I was a kid. And I just mentioned the idea of starting a workwear line. And she said, you know, you're just naive enough to do it. I'm going to help you out. And she's a designer. She knows a ton of people, has a lot of connections, and kind of got me started. She connected me with my pattern maker, who was working at kind of a world-famous, really reputable denim company. Mm. Um, And my pattern maker at the time was bored stiff making skinny jeans over and over again. So I approached her with a really fun project, like, let's think about denim and women. And um, I basically wanted to get schooled in pattern making. And I really wanted to understand what it meant to construct a pattern and build it from scratch. And I just basically spent two years learning as much as I could about clothing production and really focused in on fit and yeah, which is so on trait. and. I really wanted to be specific, and I know that's something that most people don't want to do. Um, and so, yeah, it took a really long time to hone in on a fit and find fit models that were real people and then give the product to people to test it in the real world. Um, I really wanted to calibrate how the textile I selected wore, you know, where was it performing really great, where was it not. Um, I guess, you know, it's sort of like a fun process, and I just kind of wanted to really 
go for it and like really, really dig into the process. And same thing with the manufacturer. Like it wasn't about who can make this and, you know, here are my minimums. Here's my budget. It was sort of like, okay, let's look back in time and think about what made this beautiful workwear coming out of America, like sort of the time when women were in factories, when, you know, tons of factories were making gorgeous all-natural textiles that would wear for decades and decades. What was what were the machines like? What made it so special? What made it stand out? And I just, like, really treated it like archaeology. Um, That's so fascinating. And then I found a manufacturer that, yeah, I mean, in a way, it's, like, really important to connect all the dots of the process of making a garment so that your garment has real soul and purpose and there's something about knowing the people that make your clothes that sort of make it feel that much more special Mm -hmm. um these are people who have been doing nothing but making workwear for their entire lives it's like a crazy thing to think about um a lot of them are using machines that were used to make workwear for women um during world war ii when a lot of other women were in the factories um, and, and needing workwear. And so, yeah, I just tried to sort of make the most sense out of what was necessary and what was sufficient. And that also went for the textile that I selected. Like, I really wanted to understand where denim came from. And I really wanted to think about being taken seriously um, from the perspective of other denim brands. You know, yeah. even though I'm not a denim brand, I I really wanted to be taken seriously. Yeah, I was just curious as far as being taken seriously because your background wasn't in fashion. It, you know, it was in plants. Did did you yeah. find that it took a while for yeah. people to, like, take you seriously? And what, what did you have to do to, like, earn their trust? Honestly, I have no idea if I'm being taken seriously. I think the really funny part about it is that I don't necessarily think about that at this mm. point. Um there's sort of a way of thinking about things from, I guess, like an insecure perspective when you're just starting out. You sort of want everyone to like what you're doing and think it's really great. And then you actually do it and you realize no matter how much time and energy you put into what you're doing, probably the first couple of times you do it, it's not going to be great. Yeah. You just have to keep doing it and refine it and refine it. And it's like iterative. And after two years of doing that, I sort of kind of got over the hump of, making that a priority of thinking about these invisible people and their judgment and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew on paper that what I was doing, you know, was, it could be taken seriously. Yeah. Um, and I put my best sort of intentions into it and that's all I can really think about. And then I, I basically turned into, um, I turned the process of thinking about these sort of invisible people into thinking about the end user, the women who would use my product those people I care about. Yeah. Their input matters more. I mean, um, that, that's so motivating yeah. for their lives and to make their lives better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you can drive yourself crazy thinking about all these people. It's, yeah. That doesn't matter at so, all. But you were um, able I think to... it's important though. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think it's really important to really understand like the why behind all of your choices. Right. Yeah. And that's sort of like, I guess what I meant by, thinking about the denim. I didn't want to just pick the old denim. Um, There's sort of like an important research arm to all of this. And I wanted to be able to sort of stand behind it in a way that other people would think, okay, I can tell that you're, you're serious about what you're doing. And where did you source the denim or how, how, how is denim made? I guess. 
Oh my gosh, how much time do you have? Um, the <laughs> well, the question is, how really much time do you have? Cone. <laughs> yeah, big cone. Um, so we use cinnamon from cone mills and they're white oak plants specifically, which is based in North Carolina. And the denim comes off of a loom, a shuttle loom from the 40s. It's basically monitored by human beings. Um, it's more time-consuming and expensive to make. And it's a type of product that just feels different. And it looks different. And it just gets better and better with time. And unfortunately, post-NAFTA, a lot of the looms that were used to make denim in the U.S., um, these shuttle looms were auctioned off. Mm. And so it's harder to find um, quality denim that's made kind of the old-fashioned way, the way that old miners used to um, need sort of like the denim they're pulling out of old mines and putting into museums. That's how I sort of like to phrase it. Mm. And it's a type of product that, um, yeah, just time and efficiency-wise isn't what you're going to find off the rack in pretty much any store. Um, and for whatever reason, the textile that's not really used for women, it's primarily used for menswear. Mm. Um, so we're sort of attracted to it from a different um, and because I'm looking for really hardworking textiles that are going to look better and better with time, um, and that fingerprint the user's work in a way that makes them feel proud and not embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then came to realize like there's this whole subculture around salvage denim that um, unfortunately hasn't really hit the women's wear market for whatever reason. Um, and I think what's interesting about it is that it's a really specific textile which you really have to understand how it drapes and you have to have a deeper appreciation for the fact that uh, you can't make one pair of pants that's going to fit a ton of people when you use a product that has no stretch, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it just takes longer to sort of think your way through how you're going to build a line that accommodates as many people as you can in a way that's also complementary to their bodies. And so there's just like this whole weird old school like storyline about helping people understand, like, whether their clothes fit them or not and how you can teach them, you know, okay, here's where you measure your waist. Here's where you measure your hips. Let's talk about what you need to look for when buying clothing. Um, and a lot of the girls that are buying our, our product, our dungarees, for workwear, like, they don't, they haven't ever really had that experience. Like, they may not really understand um what a great fit looks like in clothing or where to measure themselves when buying clothing. Um, they just sort of understand, well, it fits me okay. Or this is kind of like I bought it from the men's section and, you know, I kind of took it in here and otherwise it just sort of fits me like a stack and that's going to work just fine. Um, you're almost, yeah. you're teaching in a way um, through, through, uh, through your company. I know you're, they're buying from you, but also at the same time they're learning about fit in clothing, which is, um, which is really yeah. different, I mean, unlike a lot of companies out there. Yeah, I mean, I think that, unfortunately, a lot of clothing nowadays made with plastic. And so, you know, some people buy a size 8 when they're really a size, I don't know, 12. Yeah. Um, there's all this stuff with vanity sizing. And, you know, the idea that when you sort of get used to wearing clothes that don't fit right, you kind of forget what it's like when they fit properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, from... Like, I'm, I love fashion. I love clothes. Um, and my great-grandmother, who I'm named after, um, was a seamstress. And mm-hmm. she would always pick apart clothing, like, based on how it draped. And she would never buy anything off the rack and just put it on her body. She would always, like, tailor it. And so I always just sort of had this weird 
connection to clothes and fit and wanting it to be just right. And I think it's funny coming at it from a workwear perspective. Because um, nowadays I find myself buying uh, clothes and I'm sort of like always disappointed in the fit mm-hmm. and never really feel like when I buy something once and I buy it again, it's the same. It like changes somehow or there's no consistency. And yeah, we're just like total nerds about stuff like that. I think people are, are hungry for it and paying a lot of attention to how things fit. And, you know, because you're constantly sold out. And I was just wondering if, you know, if you see the future of fashion changing in any way in regards to what you've just been sharing with us. I hope so. I mean, I read a lot of older fashion writers' perspectives on the fashion industry now and <laughs> it sort of hear a little bit about this um, sort of shift in bespoke clothing, clothing that's need to last with beautiful textiles and people really caring about it and how um, invested they become in the pieces that they bring into their wardrobe. And I guess I can totally relate to that idea um, and try to apply the same ideas to what we're doing. So for instance, our dungarees are guaranteed for life. If you have any issue whatsoever, uh, we pay for you to ship it back to us. We repair it at no extra cost and ship it back at no extra cost. Wow. And we're working right now on some new content for the website that explains when you're sort of starting to see a hole in your dungarees because they're not made of titanium. Um, <laughs> when is the best time to start thinking about repair? And we're trying to educate people on the process of like the development of a tear and what happens and you know, it doesn't mean you need to throw your garment away. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, any less strong than it was before. We can totally keep it going. And actually, it's going to become even better uh, and more personal. And you're going to, you know, know that the thing that you put on your body is going to work for you and be representative of who you are. And um, we're working on a ton of different ideas um, for our repair shop and how we can um, bring a person needing to repair into the process a bit more. Um, That's they neat. sort of start to think about how things going as long as possible. And, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, anytime we introduce a garment into the world, we're trying to limit um, the idea that it's got a sort of lifespan, like a ticking clock before somebody casts it aside in the trash and looks for something else. We want people to feel really beautiful, confident, and empowered when they put on our clothes. And, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of connection between uh, the development of a product, how it wears in the world, to some of the older school, I that's even a term, um, ideas about clothing and how folks used to approach it and drape all those fun things. Yeah, no, I, I love the transparency of your company and how you're... Um how you really bring, invite people into the process. It's so fascinating. Um, on another note, I, I am curious because you do collaborate with different artists and you're, you're big on collaboration. And I was just wondering, who are some of the people you collaborate with, Gamine? Yeah. Um, so collaboration is great because you can go to someone who's doing the absolute best at what it is that they're doing and say, how can we work together to make something for an underrepresented audience? So there's no redundancy, you're cutting down on weight, and you're actually just like getting the best of the best. Um, so with Young Maven, we basically connected immediately on the idea of getting hemp shirts on to more women and also specifically women who are working um, 
in places where it's sort of you want to feel like you have something on that's breathable, that you don't need to wash every day, that's rugged and isn't going to shrink, isn't going to get little tiny holes after two wears. Um, you know, it's made with a, uh, with hemp, so it's sustainable from the perspective of requiring less water, less pesticides. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a plant that you can grow uh, fairly densely, so you get more bang for your buck. Um, you know, there are all these, like, fantastic connections between being a gardener and then looking at textiles. Like, I want to know that I'm getting something super special that is going to sort of play out in the real world in a way that I can relate to, um, sure. like growing plants and trying to reduce water, for instance. Um, yeah, so that collaboration kind of just happened organically and continues to grow. Um, I really get a ton of positive feedback from people on the T-shirts and my sweatshirts. They're sort of like, wow, there's something different about them. Um, and I think we all secretly love the fact that we're like celebrating not washing our clothes every day or every time we wear them. <laughs> What's the name of the company again? The t-shirt, with that? Um, Young Maven. So Rob uh, Youngman is the founder. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And they're based in LA. So all the products that they make are domestic. They cut and sell right there in downtown LA, um, which is fantastic. And he treats his people so well. And you can just really tell when you pick up one of the T-shirts that it's really special. Um, And I'd much rather own one really great T-shirt and three really grabby ones. Yeah. And, yeah, um, the other collaboration that we're doing is with my good friend Liz Libre of Linda and Harriet, which is a studio based in Brooklyn. Um, Liz is an incredible illustrator, designer, like just brilliant mind, really. And she's been a friend of mine for so long that I sort of, I don't know, just can like sort of bounce ideas off of her. Um, and I was talking with her about doing something relating to textiles because she had sort of started to think about doing more work um, in other mediums aside from paper, which is what she's best known mm-hmm. for. And I told her I had this idea for a bandana. Um, I'm someone who loves vintage. I love vintage bandanas, but I kept finding that I was tearing them up while I was using them, um, cleaning the cleaners, but it gets stuck on a branch and tears like the worst. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So I really wanted to do something that was new and something I couldn't find. And so that collaboration just came about really organically. Um, yeah. So we always try and think about how can we do something really fantastic, the best of the best, um, in a way that cuts down on waste and allows everybody to feel like, wow, we just kind of made something that should have existed that didn't before. Um, yeah, I love that. I, I, I really like how you're uh, making the relationship between or drawing the relationship between you as someone working with plants and having an interest in, in that and then and then also working with textiles because there really is a relationship and um, it's interesting to see how you're, you're carrying it out. Um, in both worlds. It really relates. I mean, and there's also the perspective, like for instance, when I'm sourcing plants, I'm not going to necessarily want to go to Home Depot and find the knockout rows that everybody sees and kind of never ending bloom and like a neon color. It kind of doesn't really feel (laughs) special. Like doesn't really evoke any emotion. Yeah. I want to like go find the David Austin rose that blooms once a year and brings stinking tear to your eye. Like, The idea of sourcing is something that I do quite frequently in my job, and it's, yeah, 
there's so much connection between textile sourcing and garden sourcing. So neat. Like, it's odd, but it exists. I have to tell you, I I don't know, you'd probably be proud of me. This is my first time. I I'm really interested in uh, natural dyes and growing your own plants for yeah. natural dyeing. So there's an artist here in LA and his name is uh, Graham Keegan and he, he grows his own plants and then he forges throughout LA for plants and then makes his own dyes. And so I just adopted a baby indigo plant from him last week. And, um, <laughs> so I'm, I, it's my very first, um, dye based plant, I guess. And, um, I'm really excited about it. Um, it's going to be my little experiment. This Work summer. it out. Yeah. Have you ever, awesome. have you ever done any, any dyeing your own textiles through plants that you've grown or? Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. the best. I yeah. grow a bunch of things in my own garden. Um, that I'm always using in and around my own home for different reasons, different purposes, food, medicinal, uh, doing a lot of actually art projects lately. Um, to do like flower pounding, which is kind of fun, and then dyeing, which is never ending. Oh, I yeah. feel like sheets that I buy kind of discolor after a while, or they get kind of weird, like just drabby tones. Yeah. So it's always something that I look to refresh with plant-based dyes. Um, yeah, I... and actually, funny enough, um, Rob's actually uh, at Young Raven is doing um, these dye baths with pomegranate and walnut and indigo. So. We just got some T-shirts that he dyed maybe like a week ago. So really excited to shoot those and get those on the site. They're super beautiful. Oh, awesome. Um, huh. And, yeah. It's really um, – I okay, so I have to ask you, what do you have a favorite plant? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I think probably some days I wake up liking certain things more than others, but I can't really think of something that yeah. just totally blows me away every time or that I would just – yeah, I don't know, man. I can't think about it. It's like totally against my metaphysics. <laughs> okay, so so before we wrap up, it's this has really been a fascinating conversation. I mean, just kind of diving into your process, and I mean to to know that you went to all this effort to do all this research for your customers, and um, I think that's that's very special and so much work. And um, so thank you. That's that's huge. And then so last, I, I know, thank you. <laughs> I was wondering, um, <laughs> are there, um, do you have like any favorite muse or I don't know, inspirational pieces? Are you reading a certain book that just, uh, you know, keep you, keep you motivated? I'm sure it's challenging juggling two different jobs too. Um, and I was just wondering if there's something you like to do, um, outside of designing and, um, raising plants. Yeah. I mean, I try really hard to approach life like, uh, with a sense of humor and just thinking of things being fun rather than a drag. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I find myself interested in a lot of things, doing a lot of different things aside from the, the work that I do. Um, and it's really hard to sort of think about, like, what's inspiring me specifically because there's so many things that day-to-day just kind of float in and out of, I don't know, they just sort of, like, weave a tapestry. Um, I definitely think that Being a gardener is my biggest source of inspiration. It's something that I view maybe differently than the way most people view it from, like, the Martha Stewart magazine perspective. (laughs) Um, I am endlessly inspired by the trade. I don't fully know whether I understand what a garden is. 
Um, I just met some of the most incredible people in the UK who are kind of the type of people who aren't doing any self-promotion whatsoever. They're just busy working. Um, and they're just like the most remarkable people. Um, super well-rounded, like almost to the point of, I don't even have words to sort of describe who they are, what they're about. They're like historians, artists, philosophers. Um, That's so neat. I don't know. It's so fascinating. I those those people inspire me endlessly. Um, and and the work that I do is so unpredictable and challenging, and makes me frustrated and happy and excited and miserable at the same time. Um, <laughs> And I cannot, like, I literally cannot imagine a world where I don't wake up and just work with plants. It's, like, completely foreign to me. Um, and I think that's probably my biggest muse. Um, but, yeah, there's always, like, food and comedy. Like, I love comedy. One of my very, very good friends, two of my very good friends are um, comedians and writers. Actually, the guy that built my website was the former writer, um, head writer at The Onion. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and I just really love yeah, I just really love comedy and people who are funny. Um, so I try and try and listen so to a lot of people who are interested in um, in comedy. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> no, it does. It does. No, you've um, you've shared so much just in our in our forty minutes <laughs> together. So um, I am so excited um, to see what what's going to happen with Gamine in the years to come. I and I wish you all the best in your gardening. Is there any any last bit of advice that you would share with someone who maybe wants to um, pursue? Uh, you know, designing and, and uh, especially in the sustainable route? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's so much to say. I think that a lot of times, like when I was talking earlier about coming from a non-fashion design background, I was actually a philosophy grad student um, mm-hmm. for a little while. Wow. <laughs> Which totally spurred me over for life, probably. Um, mm. But actually, the best part about it is or the idea that you can step back and kind of think more critically about whether the path that you're on feels right mm-hmm. or good and thinking what's necessary about it, what's not necessary maybe. And I think if you have good intuition um, and you trust yourself and you actually try and understand like who you are and what sets you apart and what are you, what is your worldview, what is your metaphysics, what do you care about when you wake up, like what are the things that are essentially you? Um, that's the best thing you could ever do. And don't look to other people for answers. Like, look with them. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And on that note, have a good night there in Boston. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun.